be here with you this morning. I don't want to get emotional this morning, so I just want to say I love you, I miss you, and I'm glad to be here with you today. And this morning as we begin our study together, I want us to think about just a couple of questions briefly before we get into the Scriptures. And the first question I want to ask you is, what is the best thing that you've ever experienced in your life? What's the best thing that you ever saw? The best thing that you've ever participated in? And I would imagine that there are a number of you that if you look back in the past in your life, you would take your finger and you'd point to that one moment. That one particular time. Now some of you might say, well that was the day that I was baptized. Or that was the day that my children were baptized, or the day that my grandchild was baptized. Or some of you, when you think of a question like this, maybe your, your minds go a little more along the lines of things that are of this world, and that's a natural thing for us. And so maybe you think about the day that you were married, or, or the day that your children were born. Some of our younger members here, they might look back at their best days and think about the day they got their driver's license, or, or the day that they graduated from high school. You might be able to, to look back at the best day as a time that you received an incredible award, or maybe you, you met a, an incredible person, someone who you looked up to, someone who you really admired, and you had the chance to meet them. What's the best day? that you've ever experienced, the best thing that you've ever participated in, or maybe we think about the future, something that you haven't experienced yet. Is there anything that you can think of that you've yet to experience, that, that you've yet to be able to participate in, that you've yet to be able to see, but if you were given the opportunity, you would say that's the best. Can you think of what that might be? Young children growing up, they are looking forward to the day that they're able to go to school and start their journey in education. And about three days after they start, they're ready to go back home. Now there are some teenagers who look forward to the day they turn 16. They get their driver's license. Or maybe they look forward to the day that they graduate from high school and begin their journey into college or into the armed forces or into the workforce. They look forward to those things in the future and think those things, that will be the best. Maybe there are some who look forward to the day that they are married or, or the day that they will have children or maybe the day that they will retire. Those are maybe some of the things that we think of when we're, when we're thinking about what might be the best, the best that's yet to be. But of all of the things that you've experienced, of all of the things that you've seen, of all the things that you've participated in, do you ever look back at your life and wonder, this is the best that it's ever going to be? Maybe as we get a little bit older, as we, as we age and our bodies aren't working the way that they used to work. Maybe our minds aren't thinking as clearly 
as they used to think. Maybe our ears don't hear. I said, maybe our ears don't hear as well as they used to hear. Our eyes don't see as well as they used to see. But we look back at our past, and sometimes we think, that's the best that it's ever going to be. Even those who are younger, as they look into some of the things that have happened to them, as they think about some of the things that perhaps have happened recently. Maybe they think about the day of their baptism when they're immersed into Jesus Christ. Their sins are completely washed away. They look back and they say, that's the best that it's ever going to be. Or to see that day when when we return to the faith where brothers and sisters in Christ will wrap their arms around us. They'll give us a hug and welcome us back. And we know that God is welcoming us back. To know that that His forgiveness is over us. To know that, that Jesus' blood is continuing to cleanse us. And now we're walking along in the faith. And we look back at that day. The day we came back and we say, that's the best that it's going to be. No matter where we are in life, whether we're young or old, whether we're we're coasting through on the blessings of this life or we're struggling through in the midst of challenges. As Robert Browning said, come grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Sometimes we look at this passage and depending on where we are in our studies, we have this dimension that we place on it. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Nor the heart imagined what the Lord has prepared for those that love Him. That's Paul quoting from Isaiah 64 and verse 4. And some will look at that passage and and think, yes, God is talking about heaven. He's talking about the street of gold. He's talking about the pearly gate, the city that's built four square, the glory and the light of God's shining upon them forever and ever. The sun and the moon, they don't provide the light anymore. The light comes from God. The light comes from the lamp of Jesus Christ the Lamb of God. We can't even imagine that. Our eyes haven't seen it, our ears haven't heard it, and our heart can't even imagine. So perhaps we look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 from that dimension. He's talking about heaven. Then there are others who through the course of their studies as they look into Isaiah 64 and as they look at the context surrounding 1 Corinthians chapter 2, They look at that passage and think, maybe He's talking about the church. What we're able to experience now, what we're able to experience today, what we're able to see even now. There was a time when Jesus was telling people, you're not going to be able to see the kingdom of heaven unless you do this, or this, or this. But now, the mystery has been revealed. It's available to us. And we can now see the glory of God at work within our lives as we let our light shine before men. That they may see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. And church, I have to tell you, 
I don't think we have to look at this passage with any one dimension. Paul is saying he's being guided here by the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, brothers and sisters, the best is yet to be. Whether it's a life that we now live in the flesh as manifestations of the kingdom of God in His church, or whether it's life immortal in eternity in heaven with Him forever and ever, no matter where we see ourselves walking, whether it's on the pavement of evangelism or on the street of gold in heaven, the best is yet to be. We haven't experienced the best yet. Not a single one of us. Those days that we look back and we think that's the best it's going to be. Church, it's not. The best is yet to be. This morning I want us to look together at three different passages. If there's anything that the Bible speaks about with great optimism, it is the fact that the best is yet to be. There's something available. Something that's better for us as we look ahead to the future. Maybe you've heard someone make the comment, that's a good problem to have. You ever heard that one? That's a good problem to have. Think about hearing babies or or children rustling around during the worship services. In church, that's a good... I really don't want to refer to it as a problem, but that's how we put it, right? That's a good problem to have. I like to hear babies. I like to hear children in the worship services because that means parents are bringing their children to the most important place they can be on the Lord's Day. At a place where God's people are gathered together to worship. But we look at that statement, a good problem to have, and and we think of it this way, that it's a burden that we have to bear but it's for a better good. I'll experience these trials. I'll experience these challenges because I know I'll be better because of it. Paul described the best struggle in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. I want us to read this together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. And as we read this, I want you to pay attention to the struggle that that Paul is having. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means a fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and the joy in faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul here, he describes the struggle. He said, I know my day is coming. I know there's a day coming that I'm going to die. He says, I'm looking forward to that day. As I look to that day, Paul says, I think of that day as as a great gain. As I think about my departure, I think about being with Christ everlasting. And yes, he says, that would be far better 
than anything I could experience right now. But he thinks about his life. He thinks about his actions. He thinks about his ministry right in the moment. And he says, but if I'm to continue in the flesh, he describes it as being still with Christ. And he calls it a fruitful labor. And as he looks to the church there in Philippi, he says it's even more necessary. But we notice here the, the struggle that he's having within himself. He can't choose between the two. He loves them both. Whatever choice, whether it's to live or to die, he's anxious about both of them. He can't decide which he'd prefer. He can't even come to the realization of it for himself. And so naturally, he can't tell others what he's experiencing within himself. He can't even express it. He's hard-pressed between the two. He's burdened. And can you imagine that? Paul is burdened with the idea of whether to choose life or death. And if he had to make the choice, he couldn't. He would be so hard-pressed, he couldn't come to the decision himself. That's the struggle that he's having about this. And of course, as he struggles, he says, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, he says, of the life that I'm living right now. I'm not ashamed to be able to show myself before the Lord in eternity. It's a good struggle to have. Look back at verse 20. As Paul begins to, to introduce these verses, he says, whether it's in the body or in eternity, my desire, my utmost desire is that Christ would be honored. Now there's a store in Nottingham, England that had a, a sign posted on its window. It said, we've been established for over a hundred years and we've been pleasing and displeasing customers ever since. We've made money and we've lost money. We've suffered the effects of nationalization coal rationing, government control, and bad payers. We've been cussed and discussed. We've been lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. The only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. You know, I like that. The only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. Maybe we ought to apply that to our lives. The only reason we keep living is to see what God can do through us next. Because no matter what great thing may have occurred in our life in the past, God has prepared each one of us for something greater in the future. Even if we're to continue living in the flesh. Somerset Mom said this. She said, death is very dull. And it's a dreary affair. And my advice is to have nothing to do with it whatsoever. Don't you wish sometimes that could be the case? It's a story about three men at a coffee shop. They're sitting there. They're enjoying each one their cup of coffee. And, and they're talking about death. It's maybe not an unusual subject to be talking about. But maybe they could have had a 
more cheery subject, but they're talking about death. And one of them said, when, when I, my body is laying up there in the casket, I hope people will walk up to me and say, that was a good man. He did a lot of good things for other people. The second man said, when, when they see me in the casket, I hope they'll be able to walk up to me and say, that man was a good father. He was a good friend. A third man said, when people look at me lying in the casket, I hope they'll be able to look at me and say, look, he's moving. <laughs> you know, that's sometimes kind of the way we feel about death. If we could just live a little bit longer, if our last breath was taken from us and our heart just stopped beating, if we could just start moving again. We think about death as a dull and dreary affair, and certainly there is sadness. And there's, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a fear of the unexpected. There's nothing wrong with, with death being a, a sober and somber occasion to feel the heartache to feel the pain over the loss of a loved one, to cry, to even weep bitterly, and still after the death of a loved one, to, to feel that emptiness, to feel that loneliness, to wish that that person could just be back. There's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. And Paul seems to describe that as we look in the second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight, Paul describes what is the best transition. And as and we recognize these words in this passage are some of our favorites. Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will not only give to me, but also to those who love His appearing. We see Paul talking about life, and we see Paul talking about death, but look at the transition. That's the way that he viewed death as it was approaching him. He sees death not as the end of time for him. He sees it as transition into the next. And we get out of our cars in the parking lot and we walk up to the door and we cross the threshold. We've now made the transition from being outside of the building to inside of the building. It's a transition. Our journey's not over. It's not finished. It's just transitioned. Think about a person who is in repentance. They're making their way in the direction of the Lord. They're repenting. They're confessing that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God. And then they come to Jesus who is the door. And being immersed in Jesus, they enter into Jesus. The relationship has changed. It's not the end of a journey. But it's a transition. Death. The body without the spirit. It's a transition. It's one that, that Paul described as being poured out. A transition. It's like a fighter. At the end of his match, he's fought 
a hard battle. And now it's time for the presentation of the winner. Jesus is there by His side. He's ready to hold up His hand and declare Him the victor. It's a transition. The marathon runner who's running the race. He's crossed the finish line. Now he's ready to, to step into the winner's circle and be awarded his medal. It's a transition. The individual who's been faithful their entire life. Now it's time for the awards banquet. He's about to be congratulated by God Himself, the Lord of hosts, before the entire crowd. To give Him applause. To give Him praise. It's a transition. Church, we, we have to look beyond the present and look into eternity. Not as a bump in the road. It's, it's not a ditch. We need to look at it as a transition. Have you ever noticed when we look into the Old Testament, we see the children of Israel coming up out of the land of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on the dry ground. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 describes it as being immersed in the water, under the cloud, and into Moses. And they came up into the wilderness. And as they're in the wilderness, they're walking along, and they come across another body of water after 40 years. And again, those waters part. To make an easy transition. The Jordan River wasn't a bump in the road. It wasn't the end of their journey. It was a transition. And all of that can, can be used to describe our life now. To escape the bondage of sin. To be immersed into Christ. To walk in the wilderness, which is His church. Until we come to the proverbial Jordan River. And whenever we get there, it's not a bump in the road. We don't have to get there and, and say, well, let me pull up my pants and step on my tiptoes because I don't want to get too wet. No. God is going to part the river because He wants it to be a transition for us. It's not a stop. It's not the destination. It's not the end of the road. It's a transition. A transition to something that's greater than we have ever experienced or even thought of in our entire life. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this. He says, you'll find that Christians who did the most good for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. Those who did the most good now are the ones who saw death as a transition and they thought the most of the next life. And thinking about the next, I want us to turn our attention over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, For this light, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. 
For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may be found, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Paul describes what we experience in this life as temporal. What we have now is our earthly home. It's a tent. It's not a a permanent dwelling place. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Here we are, but straying pilgrims. We're just marching through this life. It's not our permanent dwelling place. This isn't where we're going to reside forever. This is the body of humiliation that's aging old. The clothing that is this flesh is becoming tattered and and it's becoming torn. But there will come a day in which our souls will reside in a building that's not made with hands. It's made by God. It's a building of God. It's eternal. It's a heavenly dwelling. It will be an exalted body, a glorified body in the sight of God, the sight of His Son, in the sight of His Holy Spirit. It will be a life everlasting. The comparison that Paul seems to be making right here between 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and chapter 5, verse 5 is that what we're experiencing now It's preparing us for the best that's yet to be. The life that's being destroyed is to remind us that there is something that's better. There's something that is best. As we find ourselves in these bodies, we struggle through diseases and challenges and other struggles. We see that there's something Something that's best. Even the Spirit of God that resides within us proclaims to us, seals us to know that there's something that's best. We sing about it sometimes, don't we? We glorify God because of it, don't we? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. We'll never wander anymore here, there, or anywhere without any purpose or without any drive because one day there will be a street of gold and it will have one path and it will lead us directly to the throne of God Himself. And the light of God will shine upon us like no light we've ever seen before. Church, the best is yet to be. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the blessings that we have in this life. 
We're thankful for the things that we can look at and, and say they are good. And Father, we pray that You will help us to look forward each day for what's best. To, to have a desire to always be with You. And to be with You for eternity. Father, we pray that You will bless us as we seek to do Your will and, and try to be what You would have us to be. And help us always in whatever we do give You all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like if we could experience heaven for just five seconds? If we could somehow and I know that God doesn't give us the opportunity to be able to do this, but if we could, I wish that everyone here could have their bare feet touch the street of gold for just five seconds. Can you imagine what that would do? I wish that every single person here who has never obeyed the Gospel, that you could experience the light of God for just five seconds. First of all, I don't think you'd ever want to leave that place. But if that time was up within five seconds, I don't think there's a single individual here who, who has ever heard the gospel and rejected it before they would ever reject it again. That they would never reject another invitation to be added by God to the church. I don't believe there's a single soul that if you were to experience heaven for just five seconds, if you were lost this morning and you knew that, you came to that realization and you understood that, you wouldn't walk out of these doors this morning, but instead you would run to the front and find a place on one of these pews and say, I want Christ in my life. I wish every Christian that's here today could experience heaven for just five seconds. Could you imagine the joy that you would have in your life? Could you imagine the songs that we would sing? Could you imagine the, the joy and the expression as we would praise God? If we could experience heaven for just five seconds, we'd be smiling greater this day to the next and every day after that. Longing for one day to be able to see heaven once again. And there's no wonder why John, after seeing everything that he saw about heaven, and the way that he described it, he closes his book, what does he say? Lord Jesus, come now. No wonder, because he had a taste of it. And he couldn't wait to get back. I wish that every elder, every deacon, every teacher, every minister could experience heaven for just five seconds. Can you imagine the motivation? Can you imagine the, the, the energy? Can you imagine the fire that would be lit within us? Sure, we'd warn about the fires of hell, but we would praise and honor God with all the words that we could say about what's going to be experienced. The grace of God that is to come. I wish every person sitting in the pews right now 
or sitting at home and watching on online, I wish that every person that has a question about their spiritual souls just for five seconds could have their feet touch the street of gold. If you could experience heaven for just five seconds, if your bare feet could touch that golden street for just five seconds, it would completely change your life to know and to believe that the best is yet to be. If you're here this morning and you need Christ in your life, whether it's to be immersed and added to the church this morning or to return to Him, let us know. Please come while we stand and sing.